0: So there's this plane. It's descending into Boston. Inside the cockpit, the captain is slumped in his chair. Beside him, the co-pilot is starting to pass out. The co-pilot, you know, manages to get his oxygen mask on, and then he, you know, grabs the captain's arm and forces him to get his mask on too. Slowly starts to come back to life, and he looks at his co-pilot through his mask, and his eyes just grew wide with fear. It had been a pretty ordinary flight up until this point, except for one thing. There'd been this weird smell that had just kind of spread throughout the plane that day. Uh, passengers and flight attendants had been coughing and you know, wiping their eyes. And as the plane was descending down into Boston, you know, the pilots briefly lifted their oxygen masks and they could still smell the smell as the runway drew closer. The pilots parked the Airbus at the gate, but they had no memory of landing or even taxiing the flight. They went to the hospital for treatment and, you know, the co-pilot spent the next week at home in bed, vomiting and shaking and feeling like a train had run him over. So what does it all add up to? You have this mysterious smell, strange symptoms, a trip to the emergency room. The signs were all there. Something had gone really wrong with the plane's air supply.
1: ATF line 47, uh, we are declaring emergency at this time. We have smoke in the cockpit. I repeat, emergency aircraft, 4-7. We had a few passengers that weren't feeling very well. Now I just got a report that I have two flight
0: attendants in the back, uh, feel, uh, vomiting right now. One of them's getting a tightness in the chest. We just need these darn rampers to show up so we can get you to the gate.
1: I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Monday, April eleventh, two 2022. Today, what we breathe when we're on a plane. An LA Times investigation found that jet engine oil can leak into the air supply of passenger planes, creating a toxic cocktail that can lead to health problems. It happens with an alarming frequency across all airlines. And that's despite the airline industry and its regulators saying otherwise. It's an investigation that just might result in real-world change. Kira Feldman is a reporter for the LA Times, and you heard her at the beginning of this episode with a disturbing anecdote about what this air quality problem on planes can cause. Kira, welcome to the Times.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: I haven't flown on a plane in, oh, geez, like, two and a half years at this point. So remind me how air circulation works on a plane.
0: So it's a little known fact of air travel that the air you breathe on a plane comes directly from the jet engines. It's called bleed air and it's safe normally. But if there's a mechanical issue like a faulty seal, heated jet engine oil or other really toxic and bad aviation fluids can leak into the air supply, contaminating what you breathe and releasing toxic gases into the plane. When the air supply becomes contaminated on a plane, it's called a fume event.
1: Oh boy, a name like that. That's that's scary. How often do they happen and what happens to the people on the plane when they do? Because we heard from you earlier about the pilots who were passed out from a fume event. So is it always that scary?
0: So my investigation looked at these airplane safety reports. And I found that between January 2018 and December 2019, there were at least 362 fume events that these crew members had reported themselves. So, within that, uh, I found that nearly 400 pilots, flight attendants, and passengers had received medical attention during these fume events, and that During at least 73 of them, the pilots were using emergency oxygen. Now, if you think about it, that's kind of scary to imagine that, you know, you're sitting in the back of the plane thinking that everything's good while your pilots are up there using emergency oxygen. And it's actually worse than that. Four dozen pilots were described as impaired to the point of being unable to perform their duties. I mean, this was really quite scary stuff. Pilots described in these reports saying things like, you know, we were becoming more and more incapacitated. And a number of them, the captain described handing over the controls of the plane to the co-pilot because they felt that they weren't in any kind of condition to fly the plane. You know, people becoming confused and unable to think straight, dizzy. There are a lot of reports of flight attendants vomiting and passing out. A number of seizures were reported. You know, passengers having trouble breathing, even children getting rushed to the hospital. And there were actually a, a shocking number of cases where on the ground. The pilots of the plane had opened the windows in the cockpit and were sticking their heads out to get fresh air.
1: Wow. I, again, I have not been on a plane for a while, but sometimes you go on and you're like, something's wrong with the air. But how would you know if you are part of a fume event outside of people, as you described, vomiting or fainting or something other like that happening?
0: That's a really good question. One thing that I found pretty scary about this reporting is that passengers are often totally unaware that a fume event has happened. They can be odorless. And some of the most common symptoms of exposure are things like headache or fatigue, really indistinguishable from jet lag. So they do have a number of common smells that are associated with a fume event. And they're often described as having a dirty socks smell. But you know, this is a really imprecise science. You know, what might smell like dirty socks to one person, another person might smell nothing at all, or they might say it smells more musty to me. And these, you know, kind of smell descriptions are really remarkably official. I mean, airplane manufacturers like Boeing and Airbus kind of have all of these internal documents for maintenance, you know, to try to identify the smells that you're smelling. Like, well, if it smells like this, it might be this. If it smells like something acrid, it might be hydraulic fluid. But if it's dirty socks, then it's jet engine oil. I should also mention that, you know, just because you're in a fume event doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get really sick and that's really bad. I mean, some of them actually cause no apparent health effects. And that there's really a wide range of severity for these events. And also that no federal authorities have ever attributed a crash on a commercial airplane to fume events. But there are these really kind of scary, disturbing emergency scenarios that play out pretty
1: frequently. So it's literally a smell test to determine if there's a fume event.
0: It's literally a smell test. Uh, And there's even these like pilot checklists. So pilots are up there. They have their own checklist that they're consulting. I mean, I, I had a copy of the American Airlines checklist and there's kind of this whole layout. Well, oh, well, if it smells like burnt chicken, it might be a bird strike. But if it smells like dirty socks, then you might have jet engine oil in the air supply
1: if it smells like a burnt pan, that might be a catastrophe, aye, aye, yeah. Um, There's no sensors at least to be like a warning system to that, hey, something's wrong?
0: You'd think that there would be sensors. Airplanes have sensors for just about everything else you could possibly imagine. But here's the thing, airlines have actually been asking Boeing to install sensors for years. And Boeing decided against doing it. So my reporting found that Boeing managers had legal concerns that went beyond any kind of technological worries about whether a sensor could be designed. One senior Boeing engineer wrote in an email that the biggest impeding factor is the legal issues. And then in another email, he wrote, how long will it take until these readings have to be recorded and, and available, not only for maintenance, but for the lawyers? And so the, the real fear inside Boeing seems to have been that if there are sensors, then pilots and flight attendants and passengers might find out what they were exposed to during a fume event and use that information during a lawsuit against Boeing once they're sick.
1: Wow. So no sensors, just a smell test. Uh, How about masks? You know, we're all pretty comfortable with them now. So do masks protect us from inhaling any toxic fumes inside of airplanes? Unfortunately,
0: no. Um, The kind of masks that you use generally like an N95 or a surgical mask. Those are for particles and they don't protect you from toxic gases.
1: So good luck. <laughs> right. Go go up in an airplane, just like, you know, it was already dangerous to begin with. But now there's another thing to worry about as you uh, take off the runway.
0: <laughs> right. And I should explain kind of what it is that you should be worried about. Jet engine oil has some really toxic stuff in it. I mean, there is a neurotoxin in it called tricresyl phosphate, which scientists have known is damaging to the nervous system since the 1930s. So there's a lot of literature that says this can, you know, cause all kinds of issues for people after exposure like memory problems, tremors, difficulties concentrating, I even found instances, very, very well documented cases in which you know pilots had brain damage after fume events.
1: It seems like a lot of doom and gloom so far, but coming up after the break, there might be some relief on the horizon. We're back with L.A. Times reporter Kira Feldman. So, Kira, your L.A. Times investigation, it resulted in some real-world change, possibly. Your work prompted a congressional bill, the Cabin Air Safety Act. What would it do if it gets signed into law?
0: So this bill would do all kinds of things to kind of help protect crew members and passengers, the biggest thing this bill would do would require airplanes to have sensors on board to detect if the air supply has become contaminated. And it would mandate that, you know, airlines and manufacturers like Airbus and Boeing would need to develop procedures on, you know, what people are supposed to do if one of those alarm bells goes off. The legislation would also kind of create these new mandates for crew training and for kind of reporting and investigating fume events. So right now, a big issue is that, you know, there isn't really required training that crew has to get on this. So, you know, if your pilot or your flight attendant doesn't know That they're having a fume event and they don't know that this could be a dangerous thing. They're just going to keep flying right through it. And the other thing is for, you know, reporting and investigating a fume events to really require the FAA to take action on this and, you know, keep uh, a good count of how often these happen to, you know, force the airlines to actually report it when they do happen and also to force the FAA to investigate really the serious incidents.
1: Who's backing the bill?
0: The bill actually has a lot of support. Basically, all the major um, unions representing pilots, flight attendants and mechanics are backing it. And there's really no known opposition to the bill, which is interesting, or at least none of the industry players wanted to come out in opposition to it. I reached out to Boeing and to Airbus, and to the lobbying groups, and they all kind of sent back generic statements that said things like, you know, the air you breathe on planes is safe, and, um, you know, all of these studies have shown that the air is perfectly safe and better than what you're breathing on the ground, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: <laughs> on the ground, really. So so, so I, I'm safer breathing uh, air uh, on a flight to New York than I am, say, on the beach.
0: So we should say that, airplanes have something called a HEPA filter on board, and that filters the air for particulates. So things like coronaviruses. So the airlines have made a lot of waves kind of um, advertising how great their air is for the coronavirus, you know, during the pandemic. And, you know, when it comes to the coronavirus, I would rather be on an airplane than, you know, kind of in a, a bar where you don't have lots of air circulation and these HEPA filters that are kind of, you know, scrubbing the air every three or four minutes. But the HEPA filters don't do anything for what we're talking about for these toxic gases during fume events.
1: Has there been similar attempts to pass a bill like this in the past?
0: There have been similar pieces of legislation in the past that have just kind of languished in committee and they haven't gone anywhere. You know, the last attempt at this was the Cabin Air Safety Act of 2019 and that just kind of sat there. So we really don't know why there wasn't movement on this issue in the past. I mean, maybe it was just that there wasn't enough momentum to kind of bring reforms. (laughs) backers of this bill are hoping that, you know, with all of the attention on airplane air quality during the pandemic, that that will kind of carry over into a kind of new attention on fume events and kind of air quality in general on planes. And it's also just simply the reality that um, awareness of this issue has really been growing in recent years. There's a number of peer education efforts that the unions have been doing, and kind of pilots are starting to get much more active on this issue. For many decades, it was just the flight attendants who were kind of trying to sound the alarm on this issue. I mean, the flight attendants' unions have been trying to get people to pay attention to fume events for 30 years. —
1: So you see far more momentum this time around than in previous attempts.
0: It seems like there might be some more movement on this bill this time around, or that's really the hope among kind of the pilots and the flight attendants who I've been talking to for this reporting. They're really frustrated that, you know, it's been years and years and years of kind of basically nothing changing on this issue. So the real hope is that this time will be different.
1: Kira, thank you so much for this conversation.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, our masters of disasters z- 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 on Earth Day Fails and Wins. Angel Carreras was a head on this episode, and our show is produced by Denise Guerra, Shannon Lynn, Kasha Brasalian, Ashley Brown, Angel Carreras, and David Toledo. Our engineers, Mario Diaz, our editors, Kinsey Morland. Our executive producers are Jasmine Aguilera and Shani Hilton, and our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. And hey, uh, do you know anything about what pulque or tejino or tepache is? If you do, call 619-800-0717, 619-800-0717, and share your stories about what those things are. And if you have no idea what pulque, tejuino or tepache is, you could still call, leave us a message, say what's up, say what's down, say what's all around, and I'm going to stop rhyming right now because I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this month Gracias.